So I shared with a session last Sunday night, and I'm sharing with you now that two weeks ago, a little, uh, just about two weeks ago, my dad passed away. Um, he was 83 years old, um, and his health had been declining for uh, a couple of years, and so I was sad, but I was not surprised when I got the phone call um, the Friday after um, Father's Day that he had passed away. Um, he wasn't my birth father, and our relationship was up and down through the years, um, but he adopted me when I was young. I took on his name when I was about seven, and he, he's really the only dad that I've had in my life. And for as long as I can remember, my dad had two dreams in life, to sail around the world and to ride a motorcycle across the United States. Uh, he never fulfilled his dream of sailing around the world. But when I was 13 years old, after um, he and my mom had divorced, he took me on a two-month cross-country motorcycle trip across the United States. Um, he rode his Honda 750 with me riding on the back, and his girlfriend Linda rode her own Yamaha 600, and we had all of our camping gear strapped onto the bike, bikes with bungee cords and a single change of clothes for each of us in the saddlebags, and we rode for two months, starting in California and through the southwest and through the deep south until we hit Florida up the East Coast until we hit Niagara Falls and then across the country through the Midwest back um, to, the Uni um, uh, to California. Um, that trip is one of my fondest childhood memories. And, and sometimes I wonder what led him to give up on his dream of sailing around the world, but to persevere in his dream of riding a motorcycle across the country. You know, all of us start things that we don't finish sometimes. Small things like reading a book or a, a home improvement project, or big things like finishing a degree or sailing around the world. Sometimes we give up because our circumstances have changed. Other times we give up because of the obstacles that we face along the way. Well, today we're three-fourths of the way through our summer sermon series, through the Old Testament Minor Prophets. have been calling this series Course Corrections, and each week our pastors have been talking about one minor prophet and trying to sum up the main message of that minor prophet, and then we've been seeking to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God about any course corrections we might need to make in our lives in response to that message. And this morning, we start the final stretch with the three final minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. These three minor prophets from the 6th and the 5th century before Jesus was born round out the last three books of the Old Testament part of the Bible. And today we're going to look at the prophet Haggai. From Haggai, we're going to find the course corrections we need to persevere when we feel like giving up. You see, in the 6th century, God's people had given up. 
A generation earlier, the Babylonians had destroyed the city of Jerusalem, torn down the great temple that King Solomon had built, and carried God's people away into exile in Babylon. And 8th century prophets like Amos, Hosea, and Micah had all predicted that this was going to happen because God's people had broken faith with God and had neglected justice in their society. And the Babylonian exile was God's discipline on his people for breaking those covenant promises to God. But then the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians. And the Persian government told these exiles they could return to their homeland as long as they agreed to live under Persian rule and pay Persian taxes and obey the Persian laws. They were free to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and to worship God however they wanted to. Most of the exiles chose to remain in Persia. But a courageous few took the opportunity to return to their homeland. When they arrived, they found their city destroyed. Their once great temple built by Solomon, probably looking a bit like the ruins of the Surfside Condominium Complex after its collapse and subsequent demolition. And God gave this ragtag handful of returning exiles an audacious task to build a new temple out of the ruins of the old one. According to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, they started out strong 16 years before Haggai. Ezra chapter 3 verse 3 says this, despite their fear of the peoples around them, They built the altar on the temple's foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. That event took place in 536 B.C., about 50 years after the Babylonians had destroyed their temple. They were off to a good start, but then they gave up. And for 16 years, all that remained was a foundation surrounded by ruins and a makeshift altar that they built in Ezra chapter 3. So God raised up the prophet Haggai 16 years after that event from Ezra 3 to call God's people to persevere in doing what God was calling them to do. And today from Haggai, we're going to see four keys to perseverance when we feel like giving up on the things God has called us to do. So let's begin with the first eight verses of Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says this, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Haggai dates his message here precisely based on the date of a Persian king named Darius. And by looking at Persian history, we can actually precisely date Haggai's message to August 29th, 520 B.C. 16 years after what we read in Ezra chapter 3. And Haggai first addresses his message to the leaders, to Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah appointed by the Persians, but he was also a living heir of Israel's ancient king, King David. And Joshua was the high priest, the leader of Israel's ministers and pastors. And in verse 2, Haggai quotes these returning exiles as saying that the time had not yet come for them to rebuild or to build a new temple out of the ruins. After starting 16 years earlier, they'd given up. And now they were justifying the fact that they had given up by saying the time was just not right yet. The economy was struggling, their neighbors were harassing them, the the Persian government was filled with instability, but underneath all of it, they had simply given up. And so Haggai challenges the people to engage in a little self-evaluation. Twice in chapter 1, he says, give careful thought to your ways. In other words, take some time, reflect Take note and assess your current situation. See, the people were struggling with a scarcity of food and threadbare clothing that barely kept them warm during the winter and economic hardships. And they concluded that these experiences were signs that it wasn't the right time to build a new temple. Maybe when they had an abundance of food, maybe when their economy rebounded, maybe then it would be the right time. But Haggai is inviting them to consider the possibility that the reason they were struggling was because they had given up on doing what God had called them to do. That instead of waiting for their situation to improve and then obeying God's command, Haggai invites them to obey now and to trust God that their situation would improve. And so if you read the rest of chapter 1 in verses 12 through 14, they respond positively and they begin the work of rebuilding or building a new temple. And this is the first key to perseverance. Perseverance requires action. Perseverance in what God has called us to requires action. In fact, we could define perseverance as persistence to do something despite the difficulties and the obstacles that we encounter along the way. 
Perseverance is not doing nothing. It's doing something. When we give up, we enter into a state of inertia. And for 16 years, the people of God in Haggai's day had been in a state of inertia. But action, any action, even small actions can break us out of inertia and get us moving forward again. The task of building a new temple felt overwhelming to this group of returning exiles. The obstacles were formidable. The list of reasons to put it off for another day was a long list. But Haggai calls them to action. You know, my dad was tempted to give up the second night of our cross-country motorcycle trip. As, as I remember, we were somewhere in northern Arizona, I think, and it was just starting to get dark. And he had called ahead and made reservations for us um, to camp at a private campground. But when the campground manager saw us roll up on motorcycles, and he saw that my dad's girlfriend was Native American, he turned us away and refused to let us camp in the campground. And we were stunned, and it wasn't the only time we encountered this sort of thing over that two-month trip. And we were tempted to give up right then and there, to turn around and head back home. But instead, we found a cheap motel for the night and resolved to keep moving forward, to persevere one step in front of another. Perseverance always requires action. Now take a look in chapter 2 at verses 3 and 4. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you peoples of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Chapter 2's message of Haggai takes place seven weeks after chapter 1, when they begin the task of rebuilding the temple. And if you happen to be at Glenkirk Church on October 28, 2018, the day you called me to be your senior pastor, you might remember that Haggai chapter 2 was my text for my sermon that Sunday. Haggai recognizes here that some of the people were discouraged. And they were discouraged because they could still remember the greatness and the glory of Solomon's great temple that the Babylonians had torn down stone by stone. The new temple they were building looked like nothing in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple. Now, that Solomon's temple had been destroyed 67 years before Haggai chapter 2. So this group was probably few in number. But Haggai knows that this group's discouragement, if they can't work through it, it will spread to everyone and that they might give up once again. So Haggai turns to the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua. Be strong, he says to each one of them individually. Some translations put it, take courage. 
Haggai knows that these leaders hold part of the key to helping this discouraged group work through their discouragements and get excited about building the new temple. And this is the second key to perseverance. Perseverance requires spiritually empowered leaders. It requires spiritually empowered leaders. Haggai urges Zerubbabel and Joshua to be spiritually empowered, to be filled with God's spirit, to be strong. Because he knows if these leaders are not empowered by the spirit of God, they'll never be able to effectively lead God's people forward. Now, how do you know if a leader is spiritually empowered? That's a great question. Because sometimes we assume that leaders who have a commanding presence or leaders who can use persuasive words are automatically spiritually empowered. But we could all point to to unspiritual and self-seeking leaders that have a commanding presence or know how to use persuasive words. See, the surest sign that a leader is empowered by the Spirit of God is their character. A leader, yes, must be competent. But first and foremost, a spiritually empowered leader has to be a woman or a man of character. And the New Testament calls this character the fruit of the Spirit, those character traits that are the result or the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in a person's life. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a whole list of these traits, love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, virtue, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, a leader can have a commanding presence, but that can make them controlling and domineering and rigid if they lack the fruit of the Spirit. A a, a leader can, can speak with persuasive words that can move people to tears, but that can be manipulative and self-seeking if they lack the fruit of the Spirit. Character is the surest mark of spiritually empowered leaders. And Haggai knew that the people of his generation needed these kinds of leaders if they were going to persevere in the work that God had given them to do. And we need these kinds of leaders as well. Not perfect leaders, not, not leaders who never make mistakes, not leaders who we always agree with, but spiritually empowered leaders Leaders who put the time and effort into their own spiritual formation so that their character is continually being molded and shaped by the Spirit of God to reflect these kinds of traits. Certainly the kind of leader and pastor I aspire to be to. And I know it's the the kind of leaders your elders and deacons and pastors and staff want to be. People sometimes ask me what I think Glenn Kirk's going to look like once the dust finally settles from this pandemic and its aftermath? Will our attendance be back to what it was before? Will it go up? Will it go down? And I honestly, I have no idea. Every pastor I know is wrestling with the same questions. But I do know this. We will need spiritually empowered leaders to move forward into whatever God has for us next 
in the days ahead. Perseverance requires spiritually empowered leaders. Now look at verse 5, which I think is my favorite verse from this chapter. God says, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The prophet here is inviting the people of God to look back in time and to remember their story, their past. 900 years earlier, God had delivered these people from their slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. And after saving them from their slavery, he entered into a covenant relationship with them where God made promises to them. God gave them his law to guide them. He gave them the sacrificial system so their sins could be forgiven. He gave them the sacraments of circumcision and the Passover to nourish their faith. And Haggai wants the people of his generation to know that the same spirit who was at work doing all those things 900 years earlier was also working in his generation as well. So don't fear. Because God's spirit, who leads God's people, is just as active today as he's been in the past. And this is the third key to perseverance. Perseverance requires remembering God's faithfulness in the past. Looking back and remembering the faithfulness of God in the past. It's essential to persevering in what God has us to do in the present. Now, remembering the past is not the same as being nostalgic for the past. Nostalgia can actually trap us in the past. Nostalgia can make us want to go back in time and hide in the past because we don't like what's happening in the present. Nostalgia glorifies the past, screening out the hard times and exaggerating the good times. Instead, we are called to remember God's faithfulness in the past so we can trust him for it in the present. Perseverance requires it. We do this every time we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper together. We remember God's faithfulness. Um, This is one reason why I love reading about church history and learning about church history because we have 2,000 years of stories of God's faithfulness in the past. Last Sunday, when Pastor Betsy shared with you that she'll be retiring at the end of 2021, for 37 years, Pastor Betsy's been a faithful pastoral presence here at Glenkirk. And for the last two and a half years that I've been at Glenkirk, I've told her again and again, I'm grateful for every day that I get to pastor alongside of her. And I suspect that that announcement could have sparked some anxiety for some of us that because I'm still the new guy and, and Betsy carries with her 37 years of Glenkirk's history that we might forget some of that history. And I want you to know that I am committed to remembering and honoring Glenkirk's history because perseverance in the present requires us to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Finally, let's look at verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the present house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Here God promises Haggai's generation that this new temple that they're building, this one that seems like nothing in comparison to Solomon's great temple, will be even better. Through this new temple, God is going to shake all heaven and earth. God is going to intervene in the world in a powerful way that will shake every nation of the world. You see, it's this new temple that Haggai's generation is building that would be the temple that Jesus the Messiah would come to. This would be the temple more than 500 years later that Mary and Joseph would come to present Jesus in order to receive the sacrament of circumcision. It would be the very temple that Jesus would visit when he was 12 years old that he would call his father's house. And when Jesus was crucified by the Romans, it would be in this very temple that the veil um, separating the most holy place would be torn in half from top to bottom when Jesus died, representing the fact that we can now have peace with God through the death of Jesus. And that's why verse 9 says that in this place, God will grant peace. This modest new temple built amid so much discouragement and so many difficulties, would play an essential role in the unfolding of God's plan for the world. Haggai says that all this is going to happen in a little while. It actually took a little bit more than 500 years, which may seem like a little while to God, but probably didn't seem like a little while to Haggai's generation. God's timing is often different from our own. But this generation would play an essential plan in the unfolding of God's work, even if they didn't live to see it all take shape in their lifetime. This is the fourth and final key to perseverance. Perseverance requires stepping out in faith into God's future. Stepping out in faith into God's future. We will never finish what God has for us without perseverance. And I want you to know today that God has a future for you. And it is a good future. It is a future that involves flourishing, a future that will play a part in the unfolding plan of God. But it is a future that you will be tempted to give up on at times because you will face obstacles and challenges along the way. And I want to remind us that God has a future for Glenkirk. It's no accident we landed on this passage from Haggai two years and nine months after I spoke out of this same passage the day you called me to become your senior pastor because this passage is still true to us today. We never could have imagined the obstacles that we'd face together. 
obstacles like pandemics and stay-at-home orders and recessions and political polarization, and I could go on and on, but God knew, and God has a future for us. I believe this future will be living out our mission as a church to be a worshiping community, inviting everyone to join in the journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, loving God and loving his world. This is the temple that God is calling us to build in our time and in our day. And there will be times when we feel like giving up, times when what God calls us to feels overwhelming and the obstacles seem formidable. And it will be tempting to put it off, to postpone our obedience until times are easier. And that's when we need to persevere. But perseverance requires action. It requires spiritually empowered leaders. It requires remembering God's past faithfulness. And it requires stepping out into the future by faith. So what course correction is God calling you to make today? Have you given up on something in your life that God wants you to do? Be strong. Take courage. Because the same Spirit who has been with you and with us in the past, with us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words from Haggai chapters 1 and 2. And for the faithfulness of this small group of returning exiles amid all of their discouragement and challenges. Father, may we be like them and persevere in the things that you have called us to do. Because no obstacle or challenge we face takes you by surprise. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.